Hey, this is Dustin, one of the pastors at Grace Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to listen to one of our sermons. We hope that this sermon encourages you, inspires you, and compels you towards a closer walk with Jesus and one another. If you would like to learn more about Grace Bible Church, contact us or partner with us financially, you can connect with us at www.gbc.life. Welcome to our church family. We hope that you enjoy the message. Also, we wanna celebrate that Cameron Sandals actually preaching at Oakview this morning. Actually, I think he's preaching right now, or about to, or I don't remember exactly what time. I think he's preaching currently. Um, so we're blessed in there. But also, another cool win is one of our deacon teams decided uh, that they want to go up to Okeechobee, which is a hike, by the way. Um, go up to Okeechobee, and they are, um, they're providing a barbecue lunch today. Not cool? Yeah, you can clap for that. We want to celebrate these things. So we want you guys to know that as the body of Christ, we, GBC, are not looking at this as their church and our church, but as the body of Christ coming together, unified, like David said, or Dave uh, Ritter up here was saying as a worship leader, like the unifier that is Jesus coming together to love our brothers and sisters in their time of need. I could not be more proud of being a part of this church family. And I don't just say that lightly. I say that with, with the greatest amount of conviction to say that I am thankful also for great leadership. I'm thankful that as a pastor and elder in here, that it was never a second guess on did they need to call someone to fill their pulpit. Um, it was an easy call on a Friday afternoon that said, hey, Etienne, by the way, you're preaching in less than 48 hours. Good luck. Um, but I do know that God works, and he's really excited to speak this message that he's laid on my heart. And I also know that I am excited to be here. So thank you guys for your faithfulness. One more thing we have to do before we get started. You can open your Bibles up to Matthew 14. Um, go ahead while you're flipping there. something important we got to do. Um, we didn't do this last week, but we've got to do it this week because it's important. So we're not, we're not late. We're okay. If you are a teacher, that includes homeschool teachers. Y'all are just as much teachers as others. In fact, y'all crazy, okay, for teaching your own kids. Um, teachers, if you're faculty, meaning I don't care what realm of, if you're a janitor, you're a dean, you're a principal, you all matter. If you are a student currently going to school, include homeschool, do me a favor and stand up where you're at. Stand up where you're at. You work in a school, you are a student, all the students always wait. I had a group of girls that go to my youth group and they wouldn't stand up. I'm like, I know who you are, stand up. Don't sit down yet, don't sit down yet, don't sit down yet, don't sit down yet. This is your moment, okay? This is your moment. This is your moment. Stand up, don't sit down. No, no, don't you do it. Don't you do it, I see you. Hey, what we want to do is we want to take a moment to stop and pray for you because this is what we do believe as a church. We do believe that you have the amazing opportunity and privilege to infiltrate your, your homes, to infiltrate your schools, to infiltrate your sports teams with the love of the gospel. In fact, the one thing I love most about this county, one of the most things I love, the many things I love, is the fact that our teachers, our faculty, our coaches have no issue with bringing Jesus into what it means to grow up young people. And I love that because they're not just growing up on what it means to be good students. They're growing up into good individuals where character matters. Their relationship with Jesus matters. And even though the world right now may say that there needs to be separation, you guys are in the deep end saying, you know what? doesn't matter what you say. Uh, we love Jesus, so we can't help but talk about him. And so thank you guys for your faithfulness. Thank you guys for your desire. Students, thank you for being lights in your campus. Many of you I know are on sports team where you're leading the conversations about Jesus. I know many of you are in Bible studies that are happening in classrooms and you're leading those conversations because they have to be student-led. You're part of YFC and FCA and we're so thankful for that because really what matters is that you know that those students may never step foot in this door. Those kids may never step foot in this door, but they have to step in your classroom for a full year. And you get the amazing opportunity to love on them and show them what the love of Jesus looks like. Teachers, I know a lot of you spend a lot more money than your budget allows you spend money out of your pocket for pencils and backpacks for kids who can't afford them. That doesn't go unnoticed. And as a student in elementary school who couldn't afford everything, I remember the impact that teachers had for providing me with cool markers so I wasn't using the cheap markers. And I remember teachers who cared enough to, to provide the things that I needed, so thank you for that. 
So we want to pray over you guys. Um, because really, I'm excited for what God's going to do this school year and the amazing things that you guys are going to get to do in, in through your, your influence. So let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the amazing individuals in this room, God, who are just um, standing here not looking for recognition, God. But they're standing here just out of honor to know that we are so thankful that they are doing the, fighting the good fight in the trenches, God, in a time where it's really not easy to do. But God, I thank you for their boldness and their faithfulness from the students all the way to the faculty, all the way to the people who are cleaning facilities. All that matters, God, because without them, without them, we do not provide safe environments for students to experience life, to learn, and to grow closer to not just you, but grow in knowledge, God. So I pray for every student and every teacher in this room, every coach. God, I thank you for the blessing that our coaches and for the, their influence on and off the field, God. And I'm blessed to know that there are people in this room and coaches in this room who care more about character than they do X's and O's and wins. And so, God, thank you for that. So, God, as we continue into this time of the word, I pray that you speak through me, God. We do know that you were not surprised by me needing to come up here this morning, God. You are not surprised. You knew this before the beginning of the foundations of the earth, God. Be with Dustin, be with JJ as they're not feeling well, God. I pray you heal their hearts, heal their minds, heal their bodies. And, God, get them back to full health as soon as possible. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Let's give it up for our teachers staff real quick and our students. Yeah. Yeah. They're great. So listen, we, we had this amazing opportunity to continue through this series called Say What? And I, I love this series because it really has put an interesting take on what it means for me as an individual uh, to start to examine these terms that we use as Christians all the time. In fact, we use them so frequently. In fact, the word faith that we're going to talk about today is most likely in your home somewhere, okay? Um, uh, uh, Dustin was not joking this past week. We had the craziest week of our lives in the Doucette household. Um, we were in St. Pete earlier this week uh, because my wife was taking her boards exam, which she passed. Not only did she pass, she aced it, okay? So she's, like, worried about failing it, and she, like, humble brag, like, got one of the best scores, whatever. Um, it's my wife. And you're like, how'd she marry you? I don't know. God. Um, <laughs> grace of God. Amen, brother. Guys, I'm telling you. Follow Jesus, follow him well. God will reward you. <laughs> Merry way up. Um, but anyways, we're super, but she, that was exciting. If that wasn't exciting enough, um, we ended up having to move this weekend, not for Russians. We knew it was coming, but we thought, well, we'll be fine. We'll move Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, and it just never works out that way when you show up to the U-Haul place and you're at the wrong place, but it's called the same thing as the other place. And you were just supposed to assume that's where you were supposed to be. Um, and all kinds of fun jazz like that. But I do know um, that the one thing I do know for sure is that it's exciting and, and an honor and a privilege to be here and to be a part of this church family. Um, and as I get to open the word with you this morning, I pray and hope that your eyes are open and your ears are listening to what God wants to communicate to you. Because God decided to place me up here, the microphone to my face, to share what he's laid on my heart. And I hope you walk away understanding a little bit deeper what it means to have faith and to trust. And we get to do it through one of my favorite Bible stories in the world. Um, and so let's talk about faith. Let's talk about kind of what it is and what it isn't. In fact, faith is not this like magical, whimsical thing that we do that we just trust that everything's going to be a-okay all the time. We don't bury our heads in the sand and go, God's going to work it out, God's going to work it out, God's going to work it out, God's going to work it out. Listen, if you don't go to work and pay your bills, your bills aren't magically going to disappear, okay? Like, that's just not how it works. I do have a lot of faith that God can do that, okay? Um, but that's not exactly what faith is. But faith is also not this um, idea that we just go back to um, we go back to Jesus when we've reached our wits end. Faith is not our last resort that, oh, well, every, we've done everything we can. I guess I'll just pray. 
I guess I'll just trust that God is going to work things out. And, and that's not what faith is either. In fact, it's not this pendulum of one side of uh, overly faithful that I believe that God is going to bless me with a billion dollars next week. That's not necessarily how he operates. Uh, but it's also a faith to know that even in the little things, God cares and he is faithful. Faith is, is a confidence and it's assurance in the person and promises of God. What does that mean? It means that everything that God's word says and promises is true. It means that this process that Jesus went through, living a perfect life for 33 years and dying on the cross for us, is a promise that we know that he keeps. Meaning that we can have faith to know that regardless of what happens within our lives in the realms of everyday life, we can trust and know that he is faithful to the end of time. How do I know? Because he promises to be. Faith does not mean that you have to be some whimsical, super, whimsical, super spiritual being that says, oh, God is going to just work everything out for good. Because what you'll learn today in one of these lessons is sometimes our good is not God's good. And sometimes faithful means walking through a storm and being faithful in the middle of a storm. Because Jesus is using that very storm to shape and to mold and to move you to where he wants to be. Dustin probably didn't wake up that week and say, you know what, I'd love to get COVID. And I'm sure he's not sitting at home right now watching me preach saying, you know what, thank God I'm getting two weeks off. This is awesome. But if you were to really think about it, God chose to place Dustin in the midst of this little bit of this season, this moment, to put me up here to trust and know that God is going to be faithful to see and deliver the message that he feels called to the people in this room. And some of you may be your first time, and welcome, we're glad you're here. And some of you, you may be your first time in a long time. Welcome back, we're glad you're home. And so our call is to know that being faithful is not some whimsical craziness. It's kind of like this. If you don't know, if you say, you know, I don't know what it means to have faith in Jesus, we'll get there, don't worry. But I do know that everyone in here has faith in something, okay? We, we do believe in things. Um, in fact, I know something for sure, and I will, I will bet my bottom last $2 on this, that everyone in this room, when they got in here, did not, did not look under their chair Check the bolts and make sure that your seat was going to hold your weight, did you? None of you. None of y'all said, let me make sure this chair is sturdy enough to hold me. You had enough faith to walk in here, plop your butt down on that chair, hoping or knowing or believing that it was going to catch you. Many of you this morning woke up and you cranked your car, you got in your car, you started driving down the road with no mindset to think, man, maybe I should check my oil, maybe I should check my tire pressure. Now some of us, uh, if you drive certain cars that make a lot of noises, like mine, uh, you do have to do those things sometimes. But for the most part, if you got in your new car, you didn't wake up thinking, oh, I hope that my car is going to be well today. You just knew. You had faith that your car was going to get you from point A to point B. You, just like you have faith in a chair that as soon as you sit in it, it's going to catch your weight. If you're in a chair that's ever broken, it's embarrassing and awkward and not fun, but it's because you had full faith. You dropped your full weight on there and thought, you know what? This chair is going to catch me. You have faith in something. Now, some of you, it may not yet be in Jesus, and I hope you kind of hear what we're, as we're moving to that direction. It also means that, like, there's some cool moments where faith is attached. In fact, in Matthew 9, in Matthew 9, it talks a little bit about two blind men who were come up to Jesus, and they're looking to be healed, and they say, Jesus... Hey, can you heal me? And he's like, do you believe I can do that? And they said, yeah. And he goes, by your faith, you've been healed. And I'm like, whoa, that's crazy, right? And then on the other end of the spectrum, you look back in the Old Testament, and, and you guys ever seen VeggieTales? Anyone in here watch VeggieTales growing up? Um, you ever seen the one with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? You know what I'm talking about? The bunny? The bunny. The bunny. Yeah. Um, 
So this, this, this idea is that this uh, God was trying to force them to, to, or this king was trying to force them, King Nebuchadnezzar was trying to force them to, to bow down to a false god, to a false religion. Um, and they said, hey, we can't do that. So the consequences were that they were going to throw him in this furnace. And the beautiful part of this story in Daniel is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had so much faith that they basically said, you know what? You could throw us in there. One of two things happens. We come out okay, unscathed, or I go meet God. Either way, it's a win-win for me, baby. And I look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I go, what would it look like in that moment to have so much faith to say, even in the midst of doom, the thing I'm looking at that is certain death, I could choose to compromise my beliefs, take a knee, and say, hey, I'll worship whatever God you want me to worship. Just please don't throw me in the oven. But they said, hey, I have so much faith that my God is going to deliver me. That, hey, either the outcome, whether I... Whether I'm saved or whether I meet him, both out- outcomes work out to me because I can trust and know and have faith that he is good. And so this brings me to one of my favorite stories in the, in the Bible, Matthew 14, 22 through 32. We'll read through that in just a moment. And, and, and I think there's an important little setup here real quick, just real brief setup here. Um, and as, as we hear this story, right before this happens, do you all know what happens? It's when Jesus feeds the 5,000, which if you do math, it says 5,000 men. So we assume they all had a wife and a couple kids. There's upwards of 20,000, 30,000 people, right, at this gathering. And as Jesus feeds these people, the disciples had had witnessed this amazing display of God's work. They'd watched some fish and some bread feed the masses and then have leftovers. And when you hear this story, you think, wow, that's pretty incredible. Like, I feel like if I saw that in person, I would have so much faith. I wouldn't even need, I wouldn't need Jesus to do anything else for me. That's enough for me because I love food. So I'm like, if if I had one slice of pizza left, you ever, you ever been eating food and you know, it's like the last slice or it's the last piece of the candy bar and you're like you get sad anyone know what I'm talking about is that just me don't make me feel like a lunatic here I do okay when I'm when I'm scrambling through the bag and I feel like the last chip there's like this overwhelming feeling of like this is it like this is gonna be good but this is it well Jesus provided abundance so I would have had so much faith that I'd be like it'd be like a limitless bag of chips I just keep eating and keep eating and I'm fine and it never ends and I would have felt like wow I could trust anything this guy has to say. Well the disciples were an interesting uh, few fellows in fact um, they do this and, and this all goes on Jesus says hey I need to I need to go on to pray um, and he says I'm going to send you across the water um, and uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit we'll catch up in the story there. So this is how it goes. Verse 22 it says immediately he Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was long way from the land. Beaten by the waves from the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, just really early in the morning, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! They cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, I command me to come, command, oops, sorry, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took a hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? 
And when he got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. First and foremost, we have to stop and realize in the story is, as Jesus had performed this miracle, he sends, he sends the disciples out, right? He sends them out into the storm. And it's kind of one of these interesting moments where I never caught this until now. I realized something. Much like Jesus knew that this moment was going to come, that I would be standing on the stage, Jesus was not surprised by the storm. It wasn't like Jesus said, I don't have the Weather Channel app yet, so I hope the weather's nice for sailing today. He sent the disciples out knowing that they were about to head right into a storm. And what, what begins to happen in a few moments and starts to unfold really baffles me on what this faith journey looks like for a specific guy named Peter. In fact, as, he's, as, he's stepping in, as they're stepping in this boat, when this boat is leaving the dock and it's going off, it, it, they head into the storm. And now we have to understand a, a certain couple things, too, about these certain men on this boat. Um, some of them were fishermen, which meant they spent their whole lives on the sea. This was not news to them. It's kind of like um, the equivalent of us in Florida, right? Local Florida natives. If you've been here at least 10 years, you're Florida-fied, okay? Just get over it. You're, you're one of us now. Um, and so how it works here is um, we... Prime example this weekend, right? Apparently, there was a tropical storm. Apparently. Okay, I don't know where it was. I don't know if it's come. I don't know if it's coming later. I don't know. It rained last night. Like, it rains every night in summer at 4 o'clock. Whatever. Um, but it, it wasn't any different for me now. And it's like, we don't take hurricanes seriously till at least Category 4. Okay, let's be honest. Like, we throw parties until Category 4. And we're like, maybe we should board our windows, right? And so these fishermen would have been accustomed to a storm. It wouldn't have been something that was like new to them. But they're in this storm that is literally described as a cyclone. It was almost like they were, they were being ripped around, thrown around. The wind was against them. Tornadoes going on around them. This was like a nightmare of a storm. These guys were terrified, okay? It wasn't just like they were thinking like, oh, it's just a bad weather day. They're like, we are going to die. This is it. We lived a good life. Why would Jesus do that great miracle, feed us all this good food, and then send us out to die? And what I start to realize in this, in this journey here is we, it's, hold on, we're getting there. What I start to realize in this journey here is as they start to take off, all of a sudden, they get out into this water. Things are going crazy. They're panicking. They're freaking out. They don't know what's next. And as they're going, they see a figure start to approach them. And I can't help but notice that when they see this figure, their immediate reaction was not, oh, look, it's Jesus. Great. We're good. Everything's fine. Because the first thing they said was what? It's a ghost. They were terrified. Their first reaction was, that is something not good. Okay, whatever that is, that's like the monster under my bed. Okay, that thing is terrifying. I don't know what that is. I don't want nothing to do with that. And they begin to panic. And they're, they're, they're crying out. And they're afraid. And I'm sure they're praying. And they're trying to work through these things. And then all of a sudden, it gets us to the climax of the story that Jesus says, yo, calm down. It's me. It's me. And he says these words. He says, do not be afraid. And I think this is important because the opposite of, of, of fear is not, or faith is a lack of faith. I think it's often fear. I think many times the reason why we don't act in faith is because of fear, right? We're, we're afraid of the consequences. We're afraid of the outcome. So we can't operate in faith when we're walking in fear. I can't talk to that person because they might reject me. That's fear. What if my mind started to shift to a place of saying, you know what? I have enough faith to say that I don't know how to approach this conversation, but I'm going to walk into it trusting the very God who dwells within me to help me walk through this conversation. The Holy Spirit to guide my conversation. You ever done that? I'm just asking. Anyone ever, anyone ever got in a conversation that you knew you weren't prepared for and you walked out of it thinking, I don't know what just happened, but God did something. It happens more times than like I'd like to admit. People are like, man, you're wise. I'm like, I'm not. Holy Spirit is. I don't know what I said. I couldn't even repeat to you what I said. 
And the beauty of this is when we start to operate from faith instead of fear, we move to a posture of trusting Jesus more and more in the everyday things of life. And this idea of fear is not this ethereal thing, right? Like we can't just say, oh, it's Jesus. He's putting us through this, so everything's going to be fine. It's going to work out in the end, right? Like I said, you can't, you can't magically hope that everything's going to work itself out. We still have to do things. We still have to be who we are and be people and work through things and operate through things. We can't hide in our closets, you know, in our prayer closets and pray every day and pray everything away and hope that the world will just magically become better and people will come to know Jesus. We have a part in the Great Commission to go and make disciples, and you know what that requires? Faith. It is not a faith that says, I know that I know the answers. It's not faith in yourself and your own abilities. It's not faith in your own finances. It's faith in Jesus. Meaning, faith is not this idea that Jesus is going to make sure that everything works out the way I want it to. Faith is the idea or the concept that I know and trust the work that has been done on the cross. Therefore, I can walk in light of it. You notice a lot of times all these words come back to an identity issue. Because really, if we could figure out whose we are and who we are, we very quickly can understand what we're meant to do. Faith comes from understanding what's been done for me. And so as this moment he walks up, he says, do not be afraid. And I think this is interesting. I'm like, how did they expect Jesus to catch up? I, I really don't know. And, and it's this crazy transition here in this moment that I don't understand why it unfolds this way. But I think it's great because I feel Peter like 100%. I mean, Peter is literally the guy who, while Jesus is being carried to the cross, about to be arrested, right? What does he do? He chops off the dude's ear because he's like, no, it's taking Jesus. Whop. I'll tell you what. He was a fisherman. He was not aiming for the ear, okay? He was just not good with a sword, okay? So if Peter was fighting, don't bring Peter to the fight. And in this, this beautiful moment where Jesus has this exchange, he's like, you know, those who live by the sword die by the sword. And he begins to kind of minister to Peter. And Peter's like, I'm going to go to the ends of the earth with you. Wherever you go, I go. I love you. I got you. And then what does he do a couple hours later? Denies Jesus three times. Even after Jesus had warned him. Jesus was like, hey, you're going to deny me three times. If Jesus told me that, I'd be like, I'm going to not do that, okay? Be the equivalent if I said, hey, guys, don't take this road. Because if you do, there's high traffic and you're going to be late. And then you take the road anyways. And then you complain that you're late. I'm like, I told you the road was closed. And, and the crazy part in this moment is we start to see that Peter has this big transition where he operates from great faith to great fear in different moments. And we start to look at that. And we look at this great moment of boldness for Peter. And it walks up and Peter goes, Lord, if it's you, let me come out on the water. Guys, I'm going to be honest with you. I think I would skip out on that. I think I'd be the other 11 in the boat, you know, so they don't say nothing. The other 11 are just minding their own business. They're like, we don't really want to walk on water. We just want the waves to stop. Like, we don't, we don't, need, all the, we don't need all the gadgets and gizmos. We just want the rain to stop, and we just want to live. That's all it is. And as the other 11 are sitting there, you see this great boldness and faith come from Peter. And he says, hey, if it's, if it's you, come let me walk out on this water with you. And I don't know what response he was expecting, but apparently Peter had so much faith in that moment that Jesus said, come. He says, come. As Peter begins to walk out this water, this is kind of the imagery I kind of imagine. Is it kind of reminds me of, I don't know if he, I wasn't there, so I can't tell you how exactly it went. But it's almost how I imagined. I couldn't imagine he jumped right out with both feet and started sprinting towards Jesus. I don't think that's what happened. In fact, I would, I would think that it looked a little bit more hesitant, right? Like, it's kind of like when you're stepping into water to feel the temperature of it. You kind of dip your toe in it, kind of to tell you, is the water too hot? Is the water too cold? Is this even something I want to do? Um, and I imagine as Peter is stepping out off of this boat, he steps out on the water, and I'm sure he, he like puts his foot down. The other disciples are looking at him like, well, it was nice knowing you, Peter. Um, and he's like stepping his foot down, and, he, and maybe he felt solid ground. I don't know. And as he began to walk 
as they begin to step on this water, I imagine much like um, if you've ever seen a kid learning to walk, a child learning to walk, whether a niece, nephew, daughter, granddaughter, whatever the case is, I think it's one of the, the most amazing things ever because it's like the most least accomplished thing, but so accomplished things. You know, I'll explain what I mean in a second. Uh, it's kind of like when you're sitting there with the kid, and I remember that I was holding my niece, or um, my sister-in-law was holding my niece, and um, what you have to do with kids when you teach them to walk, you have to aim them, you know, because they go in whatever direction you send them, right? You point them to a wall, they run into the wall. You got to like aim them, all right, strategically. So you aim the kid strategically. And usually one parent or one person or one uncle or one cousin's on one side or one sibling, and about three, four, five feet away is the other person, right? The concept is I'm going to hold on to you. You're going to look where you're going. You're going to embark and head towards that target where the person you're trying to go to. And I remember as Peter steps out of this boat with, with a confidence of faith in Jesus, right, that Jesus says he is who he says he is, which means that his promises are true, his promises are good. That means that I can trust that what he says is true. Meaning when he says I can walk on water, I can trust that I can walk on water. And he steps out of this boat and he begins to walk closer, begins to walk towards Jesus. I imagine much like a little kid, right? Like my niece was learning to walk. And this is how she did it. She looked at me. In fact, that's why you got to clear the way, you know, because kids, when they start walking, they don't look and they fall on things all the time because they don't look at their feet. They're looking at their target. They're looking where they go. They got the zombie arms going on, right? They're like, ah. And like they're headed towards you. And all my niece cared about was falling into my arms. Her gaze, her fix, her purpose was to reach me. That is what she wanted to accomplish in life. She didn't worry about anything else around her. She didn't care about what was happening here, what was happening here. Because she knew that if she stopped, what was she going to do? She was going to fall. Do you know what's even crazier? My niece had faith that I was going to catch her. And I could have been like, ah, oh, just kidding. I've only dropped one of my nieces. <laughs> only one. My brother Cotter was incredible, dude. It was a story for another time. It's like a James Bond moment. Um, but the faith is, is the idea that we are not always going to know that the circumstances around us are going to change, right? Did, did the storm stop yet? No, there's still a storm going on. Like, I don't know if Peter is like bobbing up and down in the water. I don't know what it looks like. But all that Peter knew was he was looking at Jesus. He was moving towards Jesus. And as he started to move closer and closer, I imagine that he just longed to be with Jesus in this moment. And I don't know what the other disciples did, but they're probably looking like, this is crazy. And as he's walking closer, he gets so close to the point of here. This is how close he gets. He gets so close to the point that he notices everything around him and goes, wait a minute. People don't walk on water. Wait a minute. I can't do this. Peter's faith seemed to instantly drop when he had to rely on himself to walk on water. A lot of time the thing about our faith is that the reason why fear overtakes our faith is because many times we, we like to trust God up to the extent of our abilities. We like to trust God as long as our bank account's got money in it, right? We like to trust God as long as things are going well. In fact, we're so good at doing this thing where we, we do all, our, our faith is so much in the things around us, in our chairs, and our cars, and our families, that when those things start to collapse around us, we don't even know what to do anymore. And we wait till we hit ground zero to go, wait a minute, now I need to trust God. Oh, I guess we can pray about this. No, our only response in every day of life is trusting the promises of God to know that faith is something we have to exercise daily. Do you trust God? Like you trust that chair? Because many of us in the room trust that chair more than we would ever trust God. How many times have you asked God, why are you putting me through this? Which is an okay thing to ask. God's a big boy. But none of us would ever look at a chair and just assume it's going to break on us. 
as Peter's walking through this moment, he, he enters this time where uh, uh, Jesus is standing there. And this is how I know how close he was to Jesus because it says that he started to sink. So if you ever started to sink in water, obviously it doesn't take long, okay? It doesn't take long at all. You drop in the water, you, you just drop down. It's how it happens. And so imagine as he started to fall straight down. The only words he uttered out were, Lord, save me. As soon as he said, Lord, save me, he says, immediately Jesus reached out his hands and pulled up. What does that tell me about him? He was so close to Jesus that Jesus could just bend over and pull him up. We can never get distracted with our relationship with Jesus to think that we're so close to him. That Yeah, we're faithful. We're so close. Everything's great. Everything's fine. Everything's awesome. And then the moment that something hits, we begin to sink. And the only response that we can ever have to this is, Lord, save me. Yeah, I kind of want to speak to the people in the room for a moment because I think this is so important to understand. Um, if you're not yet a believer or if, you, if you're kind of new to this faith concept, you're like, hey, this is kind of weird. What are you talking about? I want you to know something. The reason why we can trust the, and have faith in God and what he's going to do and what he wants to do is because his word is full of the promises that are true. And we know that when Jesus died on the cross for you and me, he promises to never leave us nor forsake us. He says that if you believe in me, right, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that I am Lord, then I'll be Lord of your life. These are all promises. My faith is not in the things that I can achieve. Because in fact, if Cameron says all the time, if, if, if your faith is in something that death can take away from you, you're bound to fail. You're going to ride a roller coaster of emotions. If my faith is built on how well my business performs, you're going to have really great highs when things are great. And you're going to have really bad lows when things are terrible. If my faith is in the performance of my children or my family, that I'm going to find myself constantly riding this wave of emotion of projecting the weight of my sanity, my hope, my joy on people who were never meant to carry it. When Peter begins to sink and Jesus pulls him up immediately, I always think about this moment where I go like, Jesus could have legitimately just let Peter go. And I don't think anyone would have necessarily like blamed him. The other 11 would have been like, told you so, shouldn't have got the boat. Jesus could have said, now there's 11. Like, we don't know. But Jesus, the loving Savior that he is, reaches down, pulls him up, begins to walk him in. And, and this is kind of what I equate it to. Um, I remember um, when I was growing up, I played baseball. Um, I was a mediocre baseball player. Okay, I was not... This is, this is what I had going for me, okay? I was a, I was a good fielder, played shortstop and catcher. Um, I had a not-so-good stick, meaning I hit mostly singles. A double was a great hit for me, okay? If I had a double, it's like Christmas Day. The goal was I was leadoff hitter, okay, because I had a really good on-base percentage. Um, what I did really well was I was really good at seeing pitches, just not hitting them. Um, so I got walked a lot, okay? Um, and I'd hit a single every once in a while, beat it out, or throw a blunt down, whatever I needed to do to get on base. Um, in a little league, you can get away with that because most kids... Most kids' pitching is good, but not great, uh, so you can get away with that. Um, and I remember this is kind of like how I felt. I, I, I was, we were at this thing called TOC. Um, I was in Haines City, uh, played for Haines City. Uh, in Haines City, sorry. It was called Tournament of Champions, and we were playing some team from Melbourne. Uh, we really didn't belong in a tournament because we really weren't that good, okay? We were like, okay, but we weren't good. But you know what? We were the only team in our city, so we got invited. I was like, let's go. Um, and so here we are showing up to this, and we're actually in a close game with a team that we shouldn't have been close to. Um, and it came down to, this is a true story, I promise you, you can ask my dad. Um, it, it comes down to the, like, the, the, last, the last inning, right, the bottom of the ninth. Um, I was a leadoff hitter, which means my job is just to get on base. I don't need to be a hero. I don't often got to be a hero. And the bottom of our lineup was not as good. 
Uh, so they didn't get on base a lot either. So usually when I was up to bat, either no one was on base, so my goal was just to get there, or usually I would maybe have a guy on first or second, and I just hit a little poke, and they advance the runner. Um, but as I was sitting up there, I do remember um, this was one of my last games, um, and my dad was coaching me. He coached me through all my sports. Bless his heart. He never played baseball, never played football. He played soccer, but he, like, learned these things because he loved us so much. Um, and I remember, like, my dad's like, oh, yes, this is the moment. Bottom of the ninth, we have the tying run on third. We have two outs. And as I'm sitting there, I'm going, oh, man, this is my moment, right? Like, Every 12-year-old boy is like, this is my moment, prime time. I'm walking up to like, I'm like, I'm Alex Rodriguez. I'm going to crank this thing. Um, and I remember like walking up there thinking like, oh, man, this is it. And everyone else was thinking like, oh, Etienne's got it. Like he's, he's, he's a highest on-base percentage. Um, he could slap down a bunt and beat it out if he needs to. Everything's going to be fine. We'll trust him, right? He'll at least poke a single run that we, we tie. If last resort, we go into an extra innings, right? And I remember stepping up to bat, and as I stepped into the box, I look at the thing, and I'm thinking, like, okay, I feel good. And the kid pitching is pitching okay. He's not a great pitcher. He starts to throw the first pitch, and it goes right down the middle. Boom. And I'm like, well, probably should have swung at that. Well, I was like, it's okay. Oh, one, not a problem. So then I step on the box, and my dad, like, looks at me. He's like, you know, typical things. This is what they say. They're like, choke up on the bat and swing. You know what I'm saying? That's what they tell you. I'm like, what does that even mean? Uh, so I'm like, yeah, okay. I'm like, all right, Dad, got you. So I step back in the box, and I step back in the box, and I sit there, and I remember he, like, pitches another one. And I'm not kidding you, this is not a joke, this is a true story, it's embarrassing, so don't judge me. He threw a changeup that probably was the slowest changeup I've ever seen in my life. Like, you ever played slow pitch softball? It was almost that. And he throws this changeup, and it's just floating in there. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's my pitch. And I sit here, and like, my arms just didn't move, and it hit the mitt, pow, strike two. And I was like, man, I probably should have swung at that. And I step out of the box, and I remember like looking at my dad, and my dad's like, calm down, settle down, it's fine, it's okay. Like, but, but we need you, like, you know what I'm saying? So I felt some urgency. And I remember walking up the third one, the third pitch, I ended up fouling off, boom, uh, just because I was waiting for that slow pitch. It came a little faster, so I was a little behind on it. And then I remember walking up for the next pitch, and I thought, like, okay, this is it. I got a feel for it. I felt his fastball. I've seen his fastball. He's either going to throw the change up really slow in here, step up, just crank that thing, or if he goes that fastball, I've seen it three times already. I, I got it. And I remember walking up so confident, and I step in there, and he throws the fastball again, boom, didn't even swing. Beautiful pitch. And I remember, like, the ump calling me out, and I remember immediately feeling the weight of the world, like, what have I done? Like, I'm built for this, right? Like, I practiced for this. Like, this is easy. This should have been, like, a no-brainer. Like, my whole team was thinking, oh, Etienne's up to bat. We're good, you know? It's not like little Jimmy was up there who doesn't like baseball, and he's just, like, swinging because his mom makes him play. Like, that's not what was happening. Like, it was Etienne. They're like, he's the guy we, we trust. You know, I was, pro, I was the team captain. I would pray with the team. That was my job. I was like, my dad was the coach, so, like, he showed favoritism by not showing favoritism. If you ever played for your parents and they were like my dad, my dad made sure he didn't give me a game ball ever. I'm like, Dad, end of the season, bud, you never gave me a game ball. And he's like, oh, I forgot about you, son. Here. <laughs> um, and, but this is what I remember in that moment. All that to say this. When Peter sank to that water, I imagine the feeling felt very similar to how I felt. When Jesus pulls him up from him, he wipes him off and he talks to him and says, Oh, you of little faith. And the beauty of this fact is that the little faith that Peter had gave him the ability to walk on water. Now, I'm not saying that go have faith, you're going to walk on water. That's not how this works, okay? But I do know that the faith that he had provided was enough to make, get him through the circumstance and through the situation. And as Jesus picks him up, dusts him off, and walks him back, here's a cool story. Did you know that earlier Peter was in a storm, and when Peter was in a storm, um, and they were, remember Jesus was sleeping under the bow, and as he was sleeping underneath there, he wakes him up, because they're all panicking, saying, teacher, teacher, we're going to die. What are you going to do? And he goes, all y'all have no faith. 
Peter graduated from no faith to little faith. And as he graduated from this moment of no faith to little faith, this is what it has to do for you and me. And I want you to hear this. I want to speak to the person in the room who feels like they're too far gone. When I stepped off that mound and I stepped off out of the batter's box, I started to walk back to the dugout. I remember walking up to my dad and I'm thinking, man, I'm going to hear this. Like, I, I, I had every reason to hear it. I needed to hear it. And I remember my dad wrapping his arm around me saying, man, still got a lot of baseball left. It's one at bat. Played a good game. I said, man, there's, we're all right. I love you and I'm proud of you. And in that moment, I felt what it was like to have the Father's love. And I can't help but assume that as Peter stepped up, that Jesus wrapped his arm around him, walks him back to the boat. And as he does, I want to speak to the person who says, no, listen, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've done. I want you to hear something so clearly that it doesn't matter how far you go, how deep you've dived. It doesn't matter how far you've run away. God is so faithful that he meets you where you're at. He doesn't require you to jump some hoops and make some steps to make him earn, to earn his love, to make him approve of who you are. You have already been made approved when Jesus died on the cross for you. My faith is not in my ability to please God my faith is what I know to be true and that is that he died for me he loves you the sin that you say I just can't overcome this I don't know what to do the situations that seem so daunting the storm that is crowding around you and you say there's no way I can get through this let me tell you something it may not work out the way you want it to but you can have faith that it's going to work out the way God wants to he promises to never leave you nor forsake you And if you're in this room and you don't know what it means to put your trust in Jesus, I want you to know something. Don't leave here without asking the questions. Faith can seem this ethereal word where we just, us Christians, huddle down and we cross our fingers and say, God's going to deal with it. God's going to fix our country. God's going to fix the coronavirus. God's going to, God's going to, God's going to. Or we can start to trust Jesus to live out the Great Commission, to go and make disciples, to have the conversations, to pursue people for the gospel in a way that only Jesus can meet you where you're at. I don't have to know every Bible verse. I do know what Jesus has done for me. I do know that he loves me. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. I do know that he provides the Holy Spirit, which provides love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And I do know that he's good enough to say that even though you have two days to prepare, trust me, I'll speak through you. I know that he knows that we have a lead pastor that even if he has to be out for a couple weeks and not feeling well, that God is going to take care of him and provide for him. I have enough faith to know that everyone in this room, under the sound of my voice, needed to hear the truth. I pray for the person in this room who doesn't know what it means to have faith in Jesus, that you know that faith is simply simply a call out of way. It's a change of heart. It's me to say, I put my trust and faith in what Jesus has done for me. And once you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that he's Lord, the work is done. I want to speak for the person in the room who thinks that faith comes from having to do a lot of good things to achieve favor from God. That is not how it works. Faith is so much deeper than that. It's trusting and knowing the promises of God to be true. Let's pray. Father God, we love you so much, and I pray right now that you'll just continue to just be with everyone in this room, God. I know that You promised to never leave us nor forsake us, God, but in the middle of our storms, we often fix our eyes on the things around us and forget that you are truly at work and that you love your children. God, help us to know that faith is not some ethereal thing that we can't accomplish, God, but faith is something that we can trust and know to be true because you are true, because you are faithful. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for just allowing us to be here today. Thank you for our teachers. Thank you for our students. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name.